getting ready to preach a really good sermon. Some of you are like, I doubt it. And I'm like, exactly, exactly. That's what we're going to talk about today. Are you still struggling to keep your head above water? I saw a kid one time at the beach, five-year-old boy, and I watched him as he was walking back to shore. His parents had called him in to come back, and he got sucker punched by this big wave, knocked him down, and he was struggling. You could hear him. He's under the water yelling uh, as the, the force of the wave and the momentum of the wave kept pushing his head under and keeping him from getting up above the water. Finally, finally, his, his mother walks down, and this kid, as I'm watching, this kid gets up, and, and he sees his mom's mom, you know, about drowned, you know, and he was like in like that much water, you know what I mean? And I, I know that story because that was me. That little five-year-old kid was me, actually. That happened to me. I, I was at the beach, and um, I thought for sure I was a goner. I thought I was a goner in about two feet of water. Speaking of drowning, if you're keeping up with the news lately, you are probably drowning in information about this coronavirus. Um, Wave after wave of article keeps coming out and keeps getting posted about this whole thing. But I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there is a virus that actually is a lot worse than the coronavirus. It is actually infecting more people than the coronavirus has up to this point. Um, it's a virus that infects more people than HIV. Um, it, as a matter of fact, more than any other STD, it affects people. Um, it's a terrible disease that afflicts more people a year than cancer, heart failure, or even the common cold. Now, the scientific name for this disease is doubt, D-O-U-B-T, doubt. I'm talking about surviving your bout with doubt this morning. Um, let's define doubt. Let's define it. How many of you have ever purchased, just, just by way of, of, of your hands, if you'll, if you'll raise your hand, how many of you have ever purchased or bought something online or in a store and then secretly wondered later, did I make a big mistake buying that? Some of you? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I, once, I once bought uh, an electronic ab belt. <laughs> and I watched the guy on the commercial, and the guy on the commercial had a six-pack abs, and he told me it would help get me six-pack abs. And uh, let's just say I had buyer's remorse after, after getting that, especially when Nicole found out I got in and started making fun of me. That was when I really had buyer's remorse. If you've had that experience, then you know what it is to doubt. You know, I doubt whether I made a good decision on that one. Not quite sure. Uh, sometimes when a, a bride or a groom gets to the marriage altar and they start to ask the question, am I making the biggest mistake of my life? They're doubting. They, we, we say they get cold feet. You ever lost your nerve? You ever, you ever chickened out at the last minute and not done something that you intended to do? I, I've done that before. As a matter of fact, speaking of chickens, um, I, I saw on the way to church this morning, I saw three roosters out of nowhere and made me think of Peter, the Apostle Peter. Remember when Peter denied Jesus? 
They asked him, hey, wait a minute, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he's like, no, not me, man. I don't know the guy. What caused Peter to deny Jesus? Those of you that don't know the biblical story, Jesus told Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And and Peter said, no, I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. I'm one of your most loyal followers. And of course, we know the story goes, Peter did deny him. Not once, not twice, but three times. And he was doubting. It was a moment of fear for him. And all of us have doubts, just like Mike Lacona was saying. We all face doubts at different times. Uh, If you have had any of these, you, you may say things to yourself like, I'm unsure. I'm uncertain. I just feel uneasy. This is also very unsettling. I don't know what to think. Those are the kind of things we say to ourselves. Now, uh, doubt is, is not a, necessarily a bad thing. Uh, doubt can be a very good way of handling risk. Uh, how many of you know that to breathe and to live is to be, to be uh, engaged in having to handle risk? How many of you know that? You have to handle risk. I was on a hike the other day, and I had to cross a creek, and it was a very large gap, and the only thing that I could see that would carry me across was not some wonderfully constructed man-made bridge. It was this round tree that I was sure I was going to roll right off of. So I doubted for a moment, and then that made me look around for a safer way to cross that creek. So doubt can be a very good way of handling risk in your life. Sometimes when you second guess about a decision, maybe you've ever bought something or you invested in something and you thought, mm, maybe I better take a second look at this. Maybe I need to t- get a second opinion. I-, I know what the doctor said, but I-, I need to just be sure. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's just sort of how we're wired as human beings. Doubt can be a very good way of handling and managing risk in your life. All of us have risk. But what we're talking about this morning is something a little different. This is something called religious doubt, religious doubt. Now, uh, a friend of mine, he was also my professor in school, uh, he, he did um, a Ph.D. program and did his doctorate, and one of the things that he studied, and for the rest of his life, he has studied the resurrection of Jesus Christ because, as you know, dead people don't rise, <laughs> right? Dead people, well, they, they die. They leave. But the Bible says Jesus rose. Can people resurrect? Can dead people really rise? Well, that's what he spent his life studying. It's interesting. Interesting. And here's what he says about doubt. Let's dig a little deeper. It says this. You ready? On the count of three, if you're ready for this, tell me you're ready. Say, I'm ready. One, two, three. Okay. All right. All right. I'm bringing it on. You ready? I don't see who said that. But Okay, Josh did. Josh, get him a pen and paper. Make sure, Josh, you're writing this down. In the New Testament, there are at least a half dozen Greek words that describe the general condition that we have called doubt. They can also have other meanings as well, such as puzzlement or wonderment, wondering. When used in the sense that is relevant for us, key meanings include uncertainty or hesitation between two positions. You ever, you ever heard the phrase riding the fence? Yeah. But there are differences. Interestingly, they are applied to both believers and unbelievers alike. So if you're here today and you're an atheist, you're not 
uh, you're not Mr. or Mrs. No Doubt. Uh, if you're here and you're an atheist, there are times when you doubt. Uh, everybody doubts, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, whether you are a card-carrying Christian or whether you are a skeptic, you doubt because you're human. For example, using the most common word for doubt, diacrino, James describes the man who asked God for faith but who wavers concerning whether he thinks God will grant the request. This individual is described as being unsettled. Sometimes when we doubt, we have feelings like, I feel unsettled. I feel uncertain. I'm just, just not sure. Using the same term, Jude instructs believers to have mercy on doubters. Who in the context were apparently affected by false teachers. Matthew mentions that Jesus' followers doubted him on occasion. In the former instance, Jesus identified Peter as having little faith and asked him why he doubted. Unbelieving Jews are also described as doubting Jesus. Other terms with similar meanings are also used. Notice this, the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian, arguably the greatest Christian that has ever lived and followed Jesus Christ, wrote 14 of the 27 New Testament books, spoke more than probably six languages, he was as smart or smarter than anyone in this room, I guarantee you. Paul describes his own condition during times of persecution as being perplexed, apareo, although he said he did not despair. Jesus uses still another word, meteorizo. We get the word meteorite from that. It's a Greek word, meteorizo. When warning his listeners about being anxious and worrying, has doubt ever hit you like a meteor? Has worry ever hit you like a meteor? Jesus said, meteorizo. He says, there are times when we doubt that strongly with that much force that it literally carves a, you know, just this huge, huge thing inside of us, a hole. Such words regularly indicate a state of vacillation, you know, you're back and forth, or questioning, even of anxiety, despair, or unbelief. There is also much variety in the use of these terms depending on the context. Don't go to sleep on me, we're almost here. So doubt covers a fairly wide range of possible states of mind. Are you with me? We're defining doubt. What is doubt? Well, it covers a wide range of possible state of minds. As a matter of fact, you who are sitting here, you're looking at me right now, but you're in a state of mind. you got an attitude. <laughs> Some of you do, I can tell already. you got an attitude. Now, I, what I mean is we all have attitudes, right? We all have an attitude. You have a state of mind right now. And your state of mind could be one of doubt. You could be disbelieving what I'm saying. Oh, great, another preacher talking about Jesus. That's possible. You could be here and you could be in a state of mind where you're saying, oh, great, doubt. That's not really what I wanted to hear today. I need something more along the lines of. Or, there's all kinds of states of mind you can have right now. But doubt covers a lot of that. So doubt covers a fairly wide range of possible states of mind with some diversity regarding the particular nuance. It can tend in the direction of unbelief. In other words, we're not saying, uh, here's what I would say. Blessed are the doubters. Blessed are those who doubt. But don't think doubt isn't dangerous. There can be a dangerous kind of doubt. Doubt can elevate you or it can destroy you. But it is commonly used of true believers who lack assurance. 
So let's, let's diagnose doubt for a moment. Let's diagnose this. I, wanna, I want you to see if you have any of this disease in you right now. Can we do that? Let, let's do that together. We're going to diagnose this, okay? Uh, there are, I don't know if you realize this, there are three kinds of doubt. And we're going to talk about those. There are three kinds of doubt. My professor and friend, Dr. Gary Habermas, who Michael Eichhorn mentioned, um, Dr. Habermas became a friend after he first was my professor. And the reason he became my friend was because I went up to him after class and I told him about my doubts. And I told him about my anxieties. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I have a friend that I think you should go talk to. And if any of my family members were feeling what you're feeling, I would send them to this guy too. I said, okay, I'm going to go see him. And I did. Dr. Habermas says, and he's written several books on this subject, he, he basically breaks doubt down, the state of mind. He says there's three different kinds of doubt. Now, the first doubt that all of us face at times is called factual doubt. Okay, do, do we have that? Chair number one is factual doubt. And that is, you use the words, I don't agree. So if, if I look at you and you're a factual doubter and I say to you, Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead and he is alive right now. A factual doubter would say, I don't agree. Dead people don't rise, Brad. That's just not how it works. Does that make sense? That's a factual doubter. If I say, you know, um, evolution isn't true. <laughs> um, God created the world and I didn't come from a monkey. A factual doubter may say, Brad, I know you're a preacher. I don't agree. I think we have been here millions of years, and I do think we evolved from apes. We're just a smarter ape. That's called factual doubt. There is a disagreement about a fact. Now, all of us go through factual doubts. That's why we have to study the Bible, and that's why we have to look at evidence for our faith. And I'm going to share with you in just a few minutes. I'm headed towards a passage of Scripture. A lot of times when I see a preacher up there preaching, I'm so quick and I say, okay, get to the Bible, get to the verse quick. But I want to set this up because when I close this morning, I'm going to share this with you, very powerful passage of Scripture, and I want you to remember it when you leave. And I want you to take action on it when you leave. So there's factual doubt, factual doubt. Then there's what's called Emotional doubt. Now, emotional doubt is usually summed up by the words, I don't know. When I became a Christian, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I trusted him. But then there came a time in my life when I woke up one morning and I doubted, am I really saved? Am I going to hell? Did I say the right words when I prayed? Uh, it, it, was there actually somebody on the other side of that prayer hearing me? I don't know. See the words? I don't know. That's, a, that's an emotional doubter. And usually they say things like, what if? What if? Guys, what if we are wrong about this Christianity thing? 
<laughs> well, I don't know. What if? What if? What if it's all not true? What if? And, and so emotional doubts come into our life and we doubt. I mean, this can be anything from our faith to, uh, you know, emotionally doubting whether we like ourselves or not. Where, you know, having doubt or emotional doubts about, can't, do I have what it takes to handle this new promotion at work? They've given me more responsibility. Do I have what it takes? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's emotional doubt. Do you see yourself yet? In one of these two chairs, there's a third kind of doubt, and I hope Dave Hersher's listening to me. Is Dave out there? Yeah, Dave. Dave said he'd never heard this word before, and I said, just listen up, or I'm going to explain it. And this is the third kind of doubt, and it's called volitional doubt. And that's the words, I don't care. And volitional doubt has to do with, you know, volitional means voluntary. Like, you are volunteers, you don't have to do it. You choose to do it. Volitional has to do with your will. And what happens when we get into this state of mind of doubt is we say, well, I don't care. It's, it's about my will. It's about choice now. It's not so much emotions. It's not so much facts. It's my will. It's not that I can't do what God's asking me to do. I won't. So stick it. Take that. Well, if God doesn't care about me, I don't care about him. God, you didn't answer my prayer the way I asked you to. You let my loved one die. You let my loved one suffer. I choose. You don't say it like that, but that's what, that's what happens. I don't care. I don't care. And what happens is you bail you bail on God, you bail on church, you bail on the Bible, you bail on even trying to understand and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul said. There's three kinds of doubts. Can you see yourself in any of these chairs this morning? Are you a factual doubter or an emotional doubter or a volitional doubter? Uh, by the way, this is the most dangerous. This kind is the most dangerous. You see, factual doubters, you just answer with evidence. And you know what? I, I would love, I challenge any person here, if you're a factual doubter and you do not believe Jesus is God's son, and you do not believe Jesus uh, lived in the first century AD, and you do not believe these, I'd love to sit down and talk with you. Because I think you'll see the evidence points in a different direction. And if you're an emotional doubter, well, emotional doubts can be handled in lots of ways. One of the ways is counseling. Cognitive behavioral therapy. How many of you have ever heard that term before? Yeah, it's just controlling your thoughts. It's telling your feelings where to get off. It's reminding yourself every day, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. This is what I believe. This is the most dangerous kind, volitional doubt. This is where you say, I don't care if it's true. And I don't feel like it anymore. I'm not following Jesus, and I'm not going to listen to that preacher, and I'm not going to do what the Bible tells me to do. I'm out. That, that's why this is the most dangerous, volitional doubt. Now, doubt is not an STD. Doubt is an RTD. Do you know what an RTD is? 
An RTD is a religiously transmitted disease. Make no mistake, doubt is very religious. It's about faith. And these three chairs help describe it. Now, whether you're an atheist, there was a very uh, a Christian who was having dinner with a famous, world-renowned atheist philosopher. He looked across the table and he asked the atheist philosopher, he said, do you ever doubt? He just was curious. This guy who, who did not believe in God, who would go around the world publishing books and speaking on the subject that there is no God, and he said, do you ever doubt that? And the, the atheist philosopher basically responded basically like this. He said, oh, yes. <laughs> he said, there are many times when I doubt the truth of my atheism. Wow. You mean Christians aren't the only people that doubt? Nope. Your best bud who feels so self-confident about his or her atheism, they doubt too. And then there, there was a, a, a Christian and this guy was a professor, he was up there speaking, and he had written books and, and, and was a prolific author. And my friend, Dr. Habermas, heard him say this, heard him say he'd never questioned God. He goes, I've never questioned God, I've never questioned my faith. Well, that, that bothered my friend so much that later he had dinner with him, and he looked at him, and he said, how can you say that you've never questioned? He said, oh, no, no, you misunderstood me. He said, I'm just saying that I've never had certain questions about that. He said, but there are many times when I wonder why God does what he does when I think it should have been done another way. So everyone doubts. Everyone doubts. Everyone goes through those moments of, I'm just not sure. What I've discovered is that doubt can be devastating or elevating. Doubt is an elevator. It will take you up or it will bring you down. And you get to decide. You get to be the one to push the button to decide. Am I going to allow this to take me down and push me away from God? Or am I going to allow this doubt to draw me closer to God? Nothing wrong with asking questions, right? God's not afraid of your questions. <laughs> God's not afraid of the atheist that looks up in him and says, well, if, like my dad one day. My dad came out of church when he was around 11, 12 years old. He went to a Presbyterian church. He walks out, and he's like, all right, if you're real, then just show yourself. Just prove it. Prove it, God. Well, God never said anything to my dad. He never, like, came out of the sky. He never did any lightning. Nothing ever happened. Uh, until about 14 years later when the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, wrestled my dad's heart down to the mat and pinned him, and he had to give in. One, two, three, faith. He trusted Christ. But, but it wasn't without questions, and it wasn't without doubts. And everyone has those questions, and everyone has those doubts. What I've discovered is that when doubt is, is present, it usually affects us in one of five ways. Doubt usually affects us in one of five ways. Number one, uh, if I have doubt, I, I have a lot of insecurity. And, and it makes me feel like I'm not safe. That's what insecure feeling is. It's this deep sense that I'm not safe. You know, some people have self-doubt. Some people have doubt about whether they can trust this person with this information or not. Should I tell them or should I not? I don't know. There's some insecurity there. There's some doubt. Then there's indecision. If there's doubt, there's indecision. In other words, I'm not sure. It keeps a lot of people hesitating. 
It paralyzes people. When they should take action and they ought to make a decision, they don't out of fear. They hesitate or they sit down and they just say, well, I think I'll pass on this one. I'll sit this one out. Whoa. What was that? (laughs) Thank you, Emily. Let's give Emily a little golf clap. I had a moment of doubt, I'll be honest. Ask me what that was, and I said, I don't know. I don't know. We all doubt. Thank you. So indecision, also immaturity, uh, which, you know, it keeps me unseasoned. I, I don't grow in wisdom when there's so much doubt in, present in my life. Uh, you, you grow in faith through being seasoned. You go through things. You get through things. You overcome things. You defeat things. You win certain battles. That's how you get seasoned. Ineffectiveness, and this is, this is a big one. Doubt, when we have it in our life, makes us ineffective. It makes us feel like we're not successful because we're not taking effective action. We're not doing the things that are necessary to succeed or achieve the goal or get to the place where we want to be. And then finally, again, this is doubt, can make us feel indifferent. If you let doubt go on long enough, and if it is severe enough, you can talk yourself right out of your Christian faith. Did you know that? You can talk yourself out of what God talked you into. And that's where you sit in this chair, the volitional doubt. And that's when we start to say things like, well, I just don't care anymore. I'm going to stop caring because God doesn't care about me. Or nobody called me when I wasn't at church for three weeks, so I guess nobody cares about me. Come on. Really? That's not, that's not the kind of thing that should keep us down. Let's defeat doubt. Here we go. I, I, w- I want to show you this passage. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible because of what it represents and because of how it has helped me in my life. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, he's talking about John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Time out. Time out. Everybody look up at me because I want to explain something to you. Time out. Do you realize who is asking this question? This would be like Billy Graham when he was alive. The most famous Christian evangelist in the world sitting in front of Oprah and Oprah asking Billy Graham, well, what do you think now, Billy, now now that you're in your 80s and you've been preaching for 40 years, what do you think? Yeah, Oprah, I guess I'm not really sure anymore. (laughs) Just not sure if Jesus is who I thought he was. It would be about that earth shattering. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. John knew of the virgin birth of Jesus because he was there. He was connected to Jesus. John had already identified Jesus as the coming Messiah. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all of a sudden, John gets thrown in prison. His back is up against the wall. And guess what he starts to do? 
doubt. Why? Why is he doubting? Did any, what changed? Did Jesus stop being the Son of God? No. Did Jesus stop doing miracles? No. What changed? John's feelings. John's situation changed. He was no longer free. He was in prison. And not only that, but he was being persecuted for his faith, for preaching, for sharing God's word. And he asks this question. I've been teaching this all my life, Jesus. You know I believe, but now I'm starting to wonder. Are you the one or should I be looking for somebody else? So he sends two of his faithful disciples to Jesus. And here's how Jesus responds. Because some of you have been filled with doubt your whole life. Some of you are literally drowning in doubt right now. And you wonder, is God mad at you? (laughs) Does God get mad at me when I doubt? Does God get mad at you when you doubt? I want you to notice how Jesus replies to John. Because Jesus is God in skin. Jesus is the reflection of God. He is, if Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This is how God responds to doubt. Jesus replied, go back and tell John, how could you do that? Is that what it says? Nope. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. What is that called? That's called eyewitness testimony. He says, you go back and you tell John what you've witnessed. Now, how many of you know that eyewitness testimony is kind of a big deal in the American justice system? I mean, murder trials are decided on the the testimony of one eyewitness at times. Eyewitness testimony is what it is. Some people think it's reliable. Some people think it's unreliable. But Jesus looks at these two guys and he says, go back and give John evidence. Give him an eyewitness report. Tell him what you've seen. Tell him what you've heard. Share your experience. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus, in another translation, it says, And blessed are those who are not offended by me. What does that mean? Jesus is telling John and he's telling you and I, there are going to be times when Jesus himself does things you don't understand and you disagree with. And Jesus is saying those moments when God moves in mysterious ways in your life and you don't understand and you don't necessarily like it and you're not sure how you feel about it, Jesus says you will be blessed if in that moment you don't walk away from me. You do not stumble. You're not offended. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus. The one thing you can say about God is that God's going to be God. And this microphone is going to get on my nerves again. I tell you what. Let me just take, can I take this off? Just turn it off. I don't need it anyways. 
Thank you, buddy. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Jesus goes on after he sends John's disciples back to John with evidence that Jesus is who he said he is. Then he turns to the crowd and he says, what do you think about John's doubting? You think that makes John less than? Do you think John's doubting means he has no faith? No, no. Jesus says, let me tell you something. John is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And that counts and includes Mother Teresa and Billy Graham and the Pope and any other religious figure that people idolize and and look to as a religious icon. Jesus said, no one that has ever been born is greater than John the Baptist. Wow. I wish Jesus would say that about me. I wonder what Jesus would say about you and me. Then he says something actually about you and me. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. God is not mad at you. He's mad about you. He loves you. You know, I, I know that we have Alcoholics Anonymous and we have a really cool ministry here called Celebrate Recovery, but I think we ought to also have something called Doubters Anonymous. Wouldn't that be cool? Hi, my name is Brad. Hi, Brad. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm a doubter. That's okay, it's okay, we're glad you're here. You could get, then you could get some emotional support you know, for your doubting. The next time that you doubt, the next time you face doubt, you doubt God, you doubt yourself, you doubt others, I want you to remember something. This week has been a very interesting week for me. I'm a pastor, and pastors are not exempt from doubts. Pastors are not exempt from bad things happening. I had three situations this week that I don't really want to have in my life. They're not good, but I'm out of control. They're not in, they're not in my control. And I thought to myself, God, you really have a sense of humor because you know I'm going to be preaching on doubt. And then you brought these situations into my life. When I had a family member that got a diagnosis that's not good, I had to go see my surgeon this week because I'm having complications from something. It's a little bit out of my control. And then Friday, we got a surprise call about something else that's even more unsettling. And I kind of looked up at God, and I said, well, God, I trust you. What I told my wife was, God, I I don't think God is doing this to us. I believe he's doing it for us. And I can't see it now, but I think there's going to be some blessing in this. The next time you doubt, the next time you go through that kind of situation, and some of you may be there now, remember, God is not doing it to you. He's doing it for you. He's not doing it against you. He's doing it for you.
Will you trust him? Or will you doubt? That's up to you. It's your choice. You get to push the button whether that elevator goes up or whether that elevator goes down. You're not a winner. You're not a loser. You're a chooser. You get to choose. God's given you that. I encourage you to have faith in God today. And if you're doubting, I encourage you to talk to someone about that. Don't let doubt just go on and on and on and on and push you away, 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 away. Don't, don't let doubt do that. You tell doubt where to go. You tell your feelings where to get off. You run your life, not your emotions. Some people let their emotions run their life, and that's why their life is just a mess. Because they never do anything they don't feel like doing. <laughs> I had a friend of mine, he was a leader once, and he said, man, if, if the only time you ever serve God is when you feel like it, the, the devil will make sure you never feel like it, right? You can't always go by your feelings. You must rely on your faith. What you know is true and who you trust. Let's pray this morning together.